Well, what a week. Double whammy. No sooner had we published last week's podcast all about the new uh, Airbnb or short-term letting regulations than the government did a U-turn. Yeah, they were obviously listening to you, Jimmy, and thought, wow, we, we re- realise there are so many problems with it. And then I looked on the internet and discovered that you couldn't actually hear the podcast anyway. We had, oh. a, we had about 11 listeners, so I had to... And then you were away, you were in Perth. Yes, I was. So I couldn't re-record. But you managed to sort it out and it was kind playing of, yes. okay. And here yeah. we are today, we're going to talk about why we think the government changed its mind. We're going to talk about Mascot Towers, the latest on that. And we're going to talk about a massive projected increase in house prices in WA. Yeah, and as a sign of my dedication going over there to check it out for Just you to check for this it out. podcast. Absolutely, going around all the real estate agent windows, taking notes. <laughs> I'm Jimmy Thompson. I write the Flat Chat column for the Australian Financial Review. And I'm Sue Williams, and I write about property for Domain. And this is the Flat Chat Wrap. So that was a pretty sudden turnaround by the government on short-term letting. Yeah. I mean, they released it on Friday afternoon a week ago. Take the trash out day, they call it, on the West Wing, where you get rid of all the stories that you don't want them to have uh, too much coverage in the weekend papers in the hope that they'll all be forgotten about come Monday. The Owners' Corporation Network uh, got really upset about some of the provisions. The stays people who are also, I think they're owned by Expedia, um, they got very, very, very upset. And Airbnb stayed very, very, very quiet. Yeah, who knows what they think? Well, I think we know what they think. Well, yeah. <laughs> and then suddenly the planning minister came out and said, in the interests of conciliation and fairness and giving everyone a chance to adjust to the plans, they were putting them off until November. And do you think that's a good idea? I mean, given the fact that we've been waiting so long for this. Well, there was nothing in them that was a shock. I mean, they toned down the fire safety things a little bit. I think the thing that upset stays was the extension of the 189-a-year limit to regional areas. Mm, they hadn't seen that coming. They said no one had seen that nobody coming. Nobody had really. seen that coming. Mm. But apparently, they'd been talking about Byron Bay having a 90-night limit. And that was always, you know, on the cards because they've got terrible problems there where the people who live in Byron Bay can't afford to live there anymore because all the properties are given over to tourism. So there was some talk about Byron Bay having a 90-night limit. And then a lot of other councils apparently approached planning and said, hey, if they're going to have a limit on theirs, have a look at what's happening in our areas Mm, because sure. we're suffering too. So it was places like Newcastle, Dubbo, uh, Bega, Musselbrook, areas like that where local people are under a lot of rental pressure because of the properties being given over to short-term rentals. They said, well, we want the same limit as you have in Sydney. Mm. But what do you think the government's going to do now? I mean, they've, they've delayed it, so probably they'll talk to all the interested parties what do you think they'll decide? I think they'll go ahead with it. Mm-hmm. I, think they've, I think they've actually come up with a good formula and I don't see anything wrong with protecting local 
communities, mm. uh, regardless of what any of the big holiday-letting platforms say. I mean, they're all saying, okay, tourism is a big part of the Australian economy, and coming out of the pandemic, we want to get tourism back on its feet. But these are not hotels and motels. You know, they're not going to create many jobs having people able to let their private homes to tourists so it's well, actually people investing because interest rates are so low and then just turning them into airbnb properties just mm-hmm. to to cover their mortgages yeah and take and those properties come straight out of the residential rental market and we're seeing here in sydney and especially in melbourne the effect that that's had on rental properties that these airbnb or or short-term let properties are coming back into the market Hmm. and rents are plummeting and availability has gone up i mean it's really as simple as that there are other elements like people who lived in share homes are going back to their their own homes and, and things like that but it's not insignificant that there are no tourists going into short-term let properties. And I think this whole thing about, oh, we've got to boost the tourism industry would be true if tourists were coming from overseas to some extent, but they're not. Well, it's interesting because I think a lot of Australians are quite cashed up at the moment because we haven't been spending our money on overseas travel. So we are deciding to travel to the regions much more. But we actually have a bit of money to do it with. So we're choosing to stay in quite nice hotels, really. And Mm. we're splurging a little bit more than we would normally. Mm. And the government keeps telling us, please do splurge even more. Yeah. So why not stay in a nice hotel or a nice motel? Or, you know, even some of the caravan parks are just quite incredible now. They're real lifestyle resorts with, with fantastic facilities for families. So why not give your business over there, really? That's one of the things that was uh, a little quirk in the proposed regulations that you wouldn't be allowed to list a property that could be moved. Oh, right. A bit <laughs> hard think. to keep track of that. Then, I, yeah. suppose. I think that they mean caravans. But the yeah. one thing that we really needed, which could have been brought in without having to throw that particular baby out with the bathwater, was the register of properties. And that's coming in, but... That will come in again in November. Well, you know, the one company, the one player in all this who hates registers with a passion is Airbnb. Mm. Because wherever registers have come in, their listings have plummeted. Because a lot of people who are listing on Airbnb simply shouldn't be doing it. Or aren't declaring their earnings on Well, there's a number of reasons. They're not declaring their tax. They are subletting properties and they haven't asked the owners of the properties for permission to do that and you know there may be controls over airbnb or short-term lets that they don't want people to know that they're doing it Mm. it may even be that they don't want people in their apartment block to know that they're letting on airbnb when they came in in japan a couple of years ago i think they lost something between 80 and 90 percent of their listings Mm. initially partly because Japanese people didn't think it was going to make any difference. And then they discovered they had to go to the council to get a registry number for the property. And then that had to be given to Airbnb to get the listing online. And if they didn't do it because they couldn't be bothered or they didn't take it seriously or whatever, suddenly found they couldn't list the properties. Now, that kind of thing really annoys 
Airbnb specifically, mm. because they've always worked on this basis of kind of ignore the planning laws. You've got your rights as an owner to let your property wherever or whatever it might be, go ahead and do it. It's easier to apologize than it is to get permission. Sure. And what were the objections from the OCN, the Owners Corporation Network? Well, I think, to be honest, they kind of got the wrong end of the stick initially, which was that the government had included affordable housing. They changed the affordable housing SEP to allow them to be included as short-term lets. So some people thought that's encouraging people in affordable housing to let out their homes yeah. for Airbnb, but you don't think that's right? No, I think it was a case of they wanted to bring the affordable housing into the whole umbrella of short-term letting so they could stop them from being used. Right. And certainly that's what planning told me. Right, so if they're in affordable housing they would have to undergo the same kind of regulatory framework as, as regular listed. Airbnb. Yeah, so people would see that they were letting out their homes to Airbnb and probably lots of cases they're not allowed to. Absolutely. You know, and it was a case of saying, okay, we're going to bring you into what is permitted in, you know, into the general area of short-term letting. But by the way, our regulations mean you cannot use short-term letting. Yeah. Whereas I think they were concerned that if they didn't include them in that part of the law, then people would take advantage. They would go, mm. right, we're not included, we're excluded from this, therefore we don't have to list our properties. Yeah, sure. Well, that's understandable, isn't yeah. it? And maybe it was just badly worded, <laughs> you know, if it's caused <laughs> I mean, so much shocking, confusion. Shockingly explained. I mean, I don't blame OCN at all. You know, they didn't have time to check with planning. The thing just came out, and there it was. A couple of people, not in the OCN hierarchy, but a couple of members, got very agitated about it and sparked off this whole thing. And, and it, all it took was one email from me to planning to say, really, you're going to allow short-term letting in affordable housing? And they said, absolutely not. Mm, yeah. But then they could have explained it so much better. Oh, Absolutely. So, yeah, what will survive? Well, that will survive in some form or another. I actually think that everything that is in the regulations makes sense. They just haven't explained it very well. Mm. And that's what the difference will be come November. It will give them a chance to sit down and say, we have done this for this reason. Your question about what was the OCN reaction, the OCN reaction is, as it always has been, that this is framed as home sharing and it's not the vast majority of airbnb and other short-term lets in australia the owners are not in the property they're not sharing anything all they're doing in apartments is sharing our common property facilities with other people and not putting that money back into the wear and tear of the common property. Sure. I think this this legislation overrides bans on Airbnb that many buildings have enacted in their bylaws. No. Or can the bylaws still No, the bylaws still stand. Oh, good. Okay. I hadn't realised that. Yeah, the bylaws are still part of this whole framework. Mm. Uh, So individual buildings can say, no, we're not going to have Airbnb in our building at all. Absolutely. Okay. Oh, that's good because that's what most apartment owners were really nervous about. City of Sydney did a survey of 
about a year or so ago, and they discovered that investors generally are in favour of being able to let their apartments on short-term rentals if they wanted to. Mm. And when you look at the buildings around the city that are mostly owned by investors, then the potential there for getting those bylaws in are pretty limited. Mm, Sure. So, you know, we will see what OCN calls quasi-hotels. Yeah, particularly after post-COVID, really, because so many of those apartments are unlet Mm. at the moment because there is such a shortage of tenants with no um, overseas migrants coming in and no students really there. So maybe that will provide a good opportunity for some owners of property to recoup some of their losses in the short term, hopefully. Yeah, and what you will see is a kind of apartheid of quasi-hotel apartment blocks and purely residential apartment blocks. Mm. So the apartment blocks that are now mostly residential only will stay that way. Yeah. And the other ones where there's a majority of people who want uh, short-term letting, long-term residents will move out. Yeah. And so the whole buildings will be taken over by short-term lets, which is not Mm. what the government wants. But as we've seen in the last week, the planning department is not particularly good at planning. (laughs) Is it? Or explaining what they're doing. Or explaining. Yeah, Yeah, they should have the Department of Explanation. (laughs) When we come back, we're going to talk about the poor people who invested in mascot towers and what faces them and what can be done. That's after this. While you were away, the people in Mascot Towers had a meeting about what they can do about their predicament, where the building is falling down, they're not allowed to live in it, they can't sell their apartments, obviously, and the... The court case is still ongoing, isn't it, against the developer next door? I think it is, Mm. Um, but in the meantime, you know, they're sitting there paying mortgages on homes that they can't live in, and they can't afford to fix, Mm. and they had a meeting last week in which they were told the bill to fix the building is now way above what the building is actually worth. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So the suggestion has been that they take advantage of the New South Wales law that allows 75% of people to vote to sell the whole building, sell it to a developer. A developer will come in, knock it down, reinforce the foundations and build something completely new. And they can all expect to take a financial hit of between 70 and 80% of the value of their homes. Oh, my gosh. So if they paid 500000 for their apartment, they can expect to get 100000 back. Oh, that's terrible. So they're still going to have, what, the, what are they going to do about these mortgages? I don't know. So are many of them defaulting? We kind of think it must be so tempting to just what do what developers do and just walk away. That's right. Yeah, it's a shame you can't walk very far at the moment with COVID. You can't go overseas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what happens if you default on your mortgage. Well, you find it difficult to get another one. That's right. Yeah, and I guess the bank would come after you, really. But if you don't have any assets, maybe you have to declare bankruptcy. I think that might be. And then the problem is you can't get a credit card and things like that. And these days. Nobody uses cash anymore, so if you don't have a credit card, you're a bit hamstrung, really. Yeah. The government has been incredibly slack on this, 
I mean, fair trading, the worst named department in the whole of government, apart from possibly planning. I mean, I know that behind the scenes they've been offering advice and, you know, the rest of it. But as far as assistance goes, where are they? What are they saying? Why are they not out there championing the cause of the owners? They're supposed to be looking after customer service, I think is the name of their overriding Mm. department well where's the service if you're just sitting there going oh dear that's a shame Mm. it's a shame you bought into this building which may have actually been perfectly well constructed but because of the really crap regulations in new south wales where they don't want to do anything that ever discourages developers from developing Mm. you know this isn't a new building this is the thing People are going, oh, well, you know, you can always get your defects fixed in the first six years. Well, it's not. It's a 12-year-old building. It's mm. older now. And anyway, the developers are gone. They've disappeared. The developer next door who they're taking action against is a, is a big, well-known developer. Yes. So they'll be fighting it, one would think. Tooth and nail. Hard. Yeah. And they've produced lots of photos saying that there were cracks in the in the building before they even started work on their building. Um, but that obviously that court case is ongoing, so we can't judge what's going to happen. Yeah. But God, doesn't your heart go out to all those people in Mascot Towers? And you think, well, what is the the thing that they can do? What do you think the New South Wales government should be actually doing? Well, as I say in the article that I posted this week, mm. at the very least, they should be offering interest-free loans to the owners to cover all their legal costs. Yeah, that's a really good idea. And those loans should only be repaid if they win the case. Mm. So if the mascot towers owners win the case against whoever and money is awarded to them, that goes back to the government. If they don't win the case, the government goes, all right, sorry. It's kind of our fault that this has happened because for years we've just handed consumer protection over to the developers and this is what happens. Mm. I think that's very fair. In fact, I think it's fair that if they didn't have to pay it back, really, because... Well, the distress and, and disruption oh, to their lives. Yeah. And, I mean, you've had people there, with their marriages are breaking up. Mm. You know, they've got kids and, oh, the, the stress they must be under. It's just... Every one of those apartments is a story of somebody who's yeah. been badly let down. Mm. Some people, as you say, it's breaking up their families. People are having to move back in with their parents. So it just has this Mm. ripple effect throughout their lives. And what amazes me is, okay, we've got a pandemic on and and all that stuff. But, you know, right from the start, where has the government been? Mm. And, you know, government who for decades have been happy to take money from developers for their political parties are just going, oh, yeah, well, not really our problem. You should never have bought an apartment in the first place, Mm. which is very much the attitude. Yeah. And it's great that they've got the building commissioner there. But that's for the future. For the future. But they've got to look after the people who have suffered in the past. Well, they don't think they do. And that could have been any of us. It could be any single one of us who bought an apartment. Well, you know, the the critical thing was, as everybody talks about self-certification, where developers were able to hire their own certifiers. And that skewed things all the wrong way. But the other thing was when insurers went, oh, hang on. Do we really want to be insuring these buildings that have been self-certified? No, thank you. And rather than the government saying, okay, well, we will take over the insurance, they said, okay, you don't have to insure them if they're over three stories high, but what you can do is sue the developer. 
Mm. So you get the situation where you've got owners who have never possibly lived in an apartment, never possibly been in a court of law in their lives, suddenly being asked to take on big developers with big money and attack dog lawyers because the government says, well, you can mm. if you've got a problem. Mm. It's shocking. It's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. We've got experience of that, having been to court with um, developers of our building as well. Mm. And it, it's a it's a horrible situation, however way you look at it. I remember, I might have spoken about this before, but being in a meeting, a mediation meeting with the developers, and um, our chairperson at the time had a heart problem and yeah. was being was being monitored for his heart. So he had a it was all strapped up to a, a monitor, and every time he got a bit stressed, it would bleep. <laughs> Yeah. So we were in this meeting and they were making suggestions and we were making suggestions. But unfortunately, every time we got a bit anxious, his monitor bleeped. So they knew that when we were on the defensive, <laughs> so yeah. it was the worst position to possibly be in <laughs> when you're negotiating with people. And I recall you saying at the time that you'd go for these meetings with the developer's lawyers and they would sit down and say, OK, we'll do X, Y and Z. And you'd go, great, thanks. That's right. And then you'd get a letter from them, which they... Completely at odds with what they'd, they'd said, yep. And they did this again and again and again, and then when you went to court over it, they said, we made all these offers and they rejected them. Mm. Know, it's like... Yeah, Because right. they're sleazebags and scum. Yep. yep, they are. On that happy note... <laughs> <laughs> so we should all move to WA, So We should all be buying property in WA, and you're going to explain why after this. And we're back. So there's a property boom in the offing in West Australia, which you have just visited last week. Yes, there sure is. It's quite incredible because you probably know that Perth has been in the doldrums property for, for many, many years, really. Yeah. Um, because WA depends on resources, but resources are going incredibly well at the moment. Right. Um, the market is amazingly buoyant. So Perth property is really increasing. And um, earlier this year, in January, it was the fastest growing property market in the whole of Australia. Wow. Which is quite incredible, really. In the first three months of this year, it went up by 5%. Right. And because it was so strong, everybody's had to revise their growth figures for the market. And now the Real Estate Institute of WA says prices are going to go up this year by 15%. Wow. Which is massive. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, and the, the, I guess the reasons are, you know, the, the resources are going well, confidence is, is strong, mm. um, so everybody's kind of buying, there's not much supply, although when you go around Perth, you, you, there are cranes everywhere, right. new housing estates being built everywhere. Yeah. But it's funny, in some of the suburbs, houses are being sold within six days of going onto the market. Wow. And it's incredibly affordable compared to Sydney. Right. You know, so still, these aren't going through the roof to the point you couldn't afford to sell in Sydney and buy in WA. No, that's right. You could sell in Sydney and you could buy a couple of houses in Perth <laughs> right. for that price. Well, so there's a plan. Um, yeah. yeah. So WA does seem to be a real boom and bust place, doesn't it? Yeah. It's a very volatile market because resources really go up and down on the international market. So that's a force completely beyond your control and you can't predict what's going to happen in the future. So that's why it's really hard to invest in those resource-rich areas. You kind of look at some of the rates of growth and you think, wow, some um, parts of WA 
some of the mining areas, the iron ore. You've got Port Headland, yep. the port. I think prices went up last year by about 9%. Right. And you think, wow, this would be a good place to buy residential property as an investment, not yeah. necessarily to live there. I would hate to live in Port Headland. Mm-hmm. But you think, I could make a, a really fantastic return. But you have to remember that in Port Headland a couple of years ago, they had a big crash yeah. The prices were wiped out by 80 to 90% overnight. Wow. <laughs> like, was that when the Chinese stopped buying our iron ore or something like that? That's right, yeah, yeah. when the, the market collapsed. So you look at resource places and think, well, I could make a lot of money, but you can actually lose a hell of a lot of money as well. On a slightly different tack, what was it like travelling to WA? Oh, it's interesting. Um, it's funny to be on a plane for such a long time. You yeah. Five hours on the way there, just four hours on the way back. But I had to fill in a lot of forms to be allowed into WA. And then when I arrived at the airport, they'd set up a kind of immigration hub. Right. So you had to go through immigration to, to get in there. Right. And you had to present your your pass. You know, you had to apply for a pass before you got there and had to be approved. Right. And then they asked you questions about where you'd been in the last 14 days and if you oh. felt ill and if you'd had any contact with anybody with COVID or right. had any COVID tests. So it was quite an ordeal getting in, really. But then when did you get there? I mean, Perth is a great city. I think a lot of people haven't have never been to Perth because it's such a long way away and it's pretty expensive to get there. I think the airfares were about $1,000 return, which right. is a lot at the moment. I mean, yeah, go yeah, down yeah. later when there are more flights. Mm. But it's a, a really thriving city. There's lots of new precincts. There's lots of new hotels, really great hotels. There's an awful lot happening there, lots of new cafes, restaurants, and it's as if COVID has never happened almost. Right. You wander around the streets, nobody is wearing a mask. Um, and it's it's quite an exciting go-getting place. Because yeah, I saw a couple of people in the street in Sydney this morning wearing masks. Mm. There are some people who are just not ready yet to risk, you know, yeah. whatever risks there are. They might have underlying health conditions. or I think it's yeah. really affected a lot of people's confidence. Yes. And I think it has really hit some people very hard. But WA is the place to be, and now, and now they're even talking about seceding from um, <laughs> well, They always do, really. Yeah, yes. But they're really kind of going ahead with lots of very ambitious projects. They're planning a national museum there now, um, which will be a museum for the whole of Australia. They've just opened a huge new mu- museum, a museum of Western Australia, which is one of the best museums I've ever been in. It's wow. quite incredible, the interactivity, the light shows, the way they they um, showcase all the attractions. It was astonishing. All I mean, right. it was worth the trip over to see that alone. All quite right, incredible. so do you think that's there going to be their version of... Uh, Mona. Mona. Yeah, quite. It was so exciting. It was full of children. It was school holidays, but these kids were just really enjoying pressing buttons, watching films, listening to audio. It was it was an astonishing sight. And so you could go and live there. You could go to the museum once a week. Hmm. Um, you could buy a house. The median house price is still only 495 thousand dollars which is just about half of our house price really in sydney yeah Yeah. and um and substantially less than than melbourne and um you could probably have a very high quality of life right because you've got cafes and museums what more do you need and sport so invest in wa but get out quick as things start to (laughs) slip back all right thank you 
for coming back from West Australia and giving us your words of wisdom. You're very welcome. And thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Flat Chat Rap Podcast. You'll find links to the stories and other references on our website, flat-chat.com.au. And if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast completely free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Flat Chat Rap with a W, click on subscribe, and you'll get this podcast every week without even trying. Thanks again. Talk to you again next week.